This is uh, the tree out in front of our house. Uh, in 2010, when Wanda and I moved into the house, there were no trees. In fact, our house, uh, it was a fairly new neighborhood, and our home was the first home you came to on uh, Manhattan over in South Moore when you turned onto our street. And a few months after we moved in, there was a guy who was walking up and down the street offering free trees uh, to the neighborhood just for being able to kind of, you know, put some foliage in it. And he came to the house and he said, would you like a tree? Well, what he gave me was actually a twig. It wasn't really a tree. But he gave me, he said, would you like two of them? I said, yeah. And you can notice I, I put one, actually planted one on both sides of, the, of, the, of my driveway. And I'm not, you know, I'm not one of those horticulturists or whatever they are that, you know, are good with plants. But I, I planted those little twigs in the ground. And you can see what's happened uh, since 2010 of the last 13 years. They've really grown. Uh, they give us good shade on, at the end of the day from the west. And they've really grown strong. Last week, you remember when we had those storms last week? There was a night, Wanda and I were sitting in our living room, and the wind was probably the strongest I had ever heard of it, short of a tornado. I mean, it was blowing like 70 or 80 miles an hour, and I opened the front door just to look out and, and see, see it blowing. And this tree right here in front of you that you see, it was literally bent over at 90 degrees with that wind just blowing it over. And I'm thinking, holy cow, that thing's gonna rip right out of the ground. Well, you can see it didn't. I took this picture yesterday. It's, it's still there. It's still standing strong after all these years. Wouldn't you like to have a faith that is as steady and strong as a tree like that? You know, isn't it interesting how, what it takes sometimes to, to rock our world? When I started thinking about that, I, I thought, you know, a lot of us aren't really like trees rooted in the ground in our faith. Some of us are kind of like tumbleweeds, you know, and, and it's kind of easy for our world to get rocked and for us to really lose faith. Um, you know, we, we say we believe in God, but then let, you know, something, some trouble come along and, you know, we kind of lose a handle on it or, or let some fear come along and we kind of lose a handle on it or, or, or let some temptation come along and we, we kind of lose a handle on it. You know, in, in the New Testament, Paul, when he was praying for the church, he said, man, my prayer is that you would grow roots down deep into the love of God. And, and that's the kind of faith that we want to have. We, look at me, just hear my heart. We are in a culture that is going to do everything it can in your lifetime to steal this faith away from you. It's going to try to rip it out of your heart, rip it out of your home. So that means that we, as people of God, we can't afford just to have a mediocre faith anymore. We need a faith that is strong. Amen? Repeat out loud after me. Lord, give me an immovable faith. Let's do that again. Lord, give me an immovable faith. Well, that's our prayer, and that's our topic for today. I want to I talk about that. We've been in this series called Summer in the Psalms, and we've been looking at a different psalm. Today, I want to look at Psalm 1, which has some great words about how do we really have an immovable faith. We'll throw the words up on the screen for you. This is from the New Living Translation. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. Now, I love in the, in the NIV how they say, he says, don't, don't walk with these people, don't stand with these people, and don't sit with these people. In other words, don't let them have this growing influence on your life. He says, but they, they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like what? 
trees, like that one I showed you. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They're like workless chaff scattered by the wind. They'll be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. Read that last sentence out loud with me. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, I want to give you today just three thoughts straight out of this psalm that the psalmist give us, uh, gives us on how can we really grow our roots and have an immovable faith. They're very simple, but they are profoundly profound truths that we need to institute. Are you ready? Here we go. Here's the first one. You got to surround yourself with the right people. You got to surround yourself with the right people. Over and over again in scripture, it talks about the, the influence that we have on each other and the importance of getting the right people around us. I love the passage of scripture from Proverbs 13, 20. Would you read that out loud with me? Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. Last week, one of the days that I was here um, in the sanctuary, I was walking. I walked circles here in the sanctuary and pray uh, sometimes during the week. And uh, as I was praying one particular day, I was actually thinking about uh, this passage and what I was going to be preaching on. And I started thinking about this scripture, walk with the wise and you grow wise. And, and I just went back in my mind to the incredible people that God brought along my path along the way. And I, it was one of those moments where I realized again, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be the man that I am if God hadn't given me the right people in my life when I needed them. How many of you can identify some people that you owe a lot to? You know, they, they were people who encouraged us when we needed encouragement. They were people who loved us enough to rebuke us when we needed rebuking. They, they were people who, who kept believing in us. They, they were the people that, that kept guiding us on this path, and we owe them so much. But, but then as I, as I kind of was just thanking God for them, and I was naming them out loud, all of a sudden I, I turned a corner and I started thinking about some of the people that I've let into my life that I shouldn't have let in to my life. You know, walk with the wise and you grow wise, but if you surround yourself with fools, you get into trouble. Come on, it's just us. It's church, Sunday morning, great place to confess. How many of you would be honest enough to admit you've, been, you've surrounded yourself at times with people who got you into trouble? Yeah. How many of you still got them in your life? You guys, yeah. yeah. Well, this, this is what the psalmist is talking about. He said, you know, if you're really, really going to stay strong and, and, be, and be firm in the faith, You've got to, you've got to learn how to get the right people in your life. Now, look at me. This, this is a, a little bit of a dynamic tension because as the kids were singing, you, you, you heard their message, we are to be light to a dark world, amen? Which means we've got to be at times with people who are far from God. Jesus calls us to be witnesses. Jesus sat with sinners. And we are called as the people of God to cultivate relationships with, with people who are far from God and allow God to use us to draw them to the light. Look at me, but here's the deal. The question we've always got to be asking ourselves is this, who's influencing who? Who's influencing who? Are you drawing them to God or are they drawing you 
away from God. That's why when I was writing this, and I put this put some of my notes for you. It says, feel free to share your life with many, but only let your life be shaped by a few. Now, I gave you some questions just to process. Who are you allowing to shape your thinking? Who are you allowing to determine your identity? Who are you allowing to shape who you are becoming? Now, this is exactly what the psalmist was talking about in this this passage. He says, don't walk in the counsel. In other words, when you start listening to these ideas and you start letting people speak into your mind how you ought to think about yourself or about the world around you, as that begins to shape your, your thinking, you know what? You're taking a step away from God and you're taking a step toward them. Sometimes we find ourselves around people and we think, man, those people are really cool. Or, or for whatever reason, we're, we're just attracted to them. And what begins to happen is we, instead of just walking with them and listening to their counsel, we start standing with them, we start identifying with them, and that be, starts becoming our identity. And, and the longer we take on that identity, then we start, as the scripture says, we start sitting with them and we start doing what they're doing so we start becoming like them. We start thinking like them, we, we start identifying with them, and then we start acting like them. Does this make sense to you? Which is why the psalmist says, you know what? You, you really got to be careful how you let the, you know, you, who you surround yourself with on this journey. Um, passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul nailed it when he said, don't be misled. Read it with me, church. Bad company corrupts good character. I, I had a friend uh, back when I was growing up, uh, who was actually my best friend. And uh, he and I used to hang out a lot together. But we had a whole neighborhood of guys um, that we grew up in the same grade school. And we played a lot of street football and baseball and all that stuff together. But as we, as we began to get into older elementary, fifth, sixth grade, and then into junior high, there were a few of our guys in the neighborhood that just decided to go in kind of a bad direction. They started doing things that we know we shouldn't do. And they started uh, engaging in behavior that we knew wasn't, wasn't good behavior. And so about that time, as that began to happen, we, our, our, our group just kind of started pulling apart and, and, and you, you know, we were kind of pulled different ways. And I, I never forget my, my best friend, who he, he, he was really struggled socially and he really wanted to be accepted. I remember him coming to my house one day and he had this big gash on his leg. And uh, it had actually been stitched up. And I said, dude, what happened? And he said, you're not going to believe this. And he said, you know, he said he was with some, some of our friends and uh, some of the group that kind of were going in a bad direction. And they told him about one of our other buddies whose family was gone on vacation and how they had a, a basement window that was open and they could sneak in there and get stuff if they wanted and, uh, and so they talked him because he was the guy who wanted to do anything to be accepted. I just followed this path. He started thinking like them. He wanted to identify with them. And so they talked him into sneaking into the basement window, through the basement window, to see what he might find. And he got down there and he, he said, I was you know, going around the basement and he said, I found a, a jar full of change. And I thought, you know, when you're a kid, that looks like all the money in the world. I mean, I could go to get to the candy store. And he say, so he was loading his pockets with this change. And all of a sudden he heard the family came home and he heard him upstairs. And he said, man, I heard him upstairs. And he said, I panicked. 
He said, I knew they were going to, and the guy said, the father was a cop. <laughs> and so he said, I knew I was going to be in deep trouble. He said, so I scrambled over to the window, and he said, I, I crawled out the window, and he said, I was so scared. I run, and I jumped on my bike. He said, and when I tried to take off my bike, he said, I was so scared. My foot slipped off the pedal, and he said, I caught my leg on the, on the spoke out of, my, out of my bike, and he said, I ripped my leg wide open. He said, I end up having to go to the emergency room and get stitches. And as we sat there, it was, the idea was this. If he hadn't listened to the wrong people, if he hadn't wanted to identify with the wrong people, if he hadn't let them talk him into doing what they wanted him to do, he wouldn't have had that injury. Does this make sense to you? And any of us who have been down the road any length of time have stories like this. Walk with the wise. What do you become? Surround yourself with fools. And what happens, church? You get in. To trouble. There's a second thing that the psalmist mentioned that's, that's really, that's, again, it's so simple, but it's extremely profound. And here's what he says, anchor yourself in the word of God. You got to anchor yourself in the word of God. The psalmist says, you know, don't be like these people who walk with the wrong people. He said, but, but they delight in the law of God. Now, when he, talk, when he refers to the law of God, he's talking about the scriptures. He says, you know, instead of being around the wrong kind of people, you really need to anchor your heart and your mind and your life in the word of God. Now, look at me. We all get this. Here's the question I'm going to ask you. Don't want you to answer out loud. Don't want to shame you. I'm not trying to throw guilt at you, but I, want, I do want you to think about this with me for a second. How much time last week did you spend simply sitting with the word of God and asking God to speak into your heart and your life. Because here's the deal. I love you, but you do get this. If the only time you're feeding your spirit is when you come to church on a Sunday morning, look at me, you're malnourished and you're starving to death. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, this word of God is, is, is something that we need to constantly be taking in because it's the word of God that keeps us strong and keeps us steady and keeps us on the right path. Look at the scripture, Psalm 119. There's so many great scriptures about how powerful and how important scripture is. Look at what Psalm, Psalm 119.9 says. Read this out loud, 9 and verse 11. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Look, stop for a second. Parents, this is why it's so important for us not just to send our kids to church, not just take our kids to vacation Bible school. This is why we need to be sitting down with them, reading them the, the stories of old and, and getting them into the word of God because that's what keeps them on the right path. Read the second verse there with me. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And it's not just, the word of God isn't just a defense, it's also offense. Look at, look at what Ephesians 6, 16, 17 says. Read it with me. And the, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He said, in other words, if, you, if you're facing a culture that you know is coming against you, one of the great weapons that God has given us to, to fight back with is the word of God. You know, we, we make a big deal about this uh, in here at Chartel, 
Um, we have Bible study plans that we make available to you. We have Bibles in the pews that we tell you every week. Those are our gift to you. If you want a Bible, take it home. It's yours. It's our gift. Take it to your family or a friend if you need one. Uh, we, we try over and over again. Uh, I write a daily devotional that we encourage people to, to read all of that to say we want you to get the word of God into your life. It's also why we spend so much time trying to help our kids get grounded in the word of God. We want our kids, by the time they leave Chartel and head off to college, we want them to be anchored in the word of God. Amen? Now, we do it. We have a lot of different programs here at Chartel, a lot of different ways we do it, like Vacation Bible School. But one, one incredible program that my wife and another woman created some years ago when we lived in Phoenix is a program called Bible Quest. And Bible Quest is this Bible survey, and it's a, it's a class that in, the, in one semester they go through the Old Testament, and then in another semester they go through the New Testament. And by the time the kids take that over the course of the year, man, they, they, they have a great understanding, and they don't just uh, you know, go, skim through the Bible, they memorize. They, they know who judges are and kings are. They know the storylines of Scripture. It is amazing what these kids learn. But I don't want you to take it from me. <coughs> I want you to hear it for yourself. So I'm going to ask my three Bible Quest scholars to join me on stage. I've got Xander, wherever, Xander, where you at, bud? Xander, don't be hiding, there you are, come on up. Xander, Emily, and Gracie, where you at? Come on up. Come on, there you go, yeah. yeah. Here we go, I'm going to turn this on. I think we start with Grace, don't we? All right, once you guys, come on up. I'm going, to, I'm going to get down on the floor. People don't want to see me, they want to see you. Don't be saying amen out there. <laughs> Come on up close to the table. Stand, get in the middle. You stand right behind the table. You're the tallest. Yeah, there you go. Okay, now again, they learn Old Testament, New Testament. I'm going to give these guys each two questions, two from the Old Testament, two from the New Testament. I want you to just get a glimpse of what these kids learn, and I want you to, I just want to let it, let it startle you. Gracie, we're going to start with you. According to Genesis, what did God create on each of the seven days of creation. Get it in your mouth and give us good and loud. On the first day, he separated the light from the darkness. On the second day, he separated the water above from the water below. On the third day, he separated the land from the water and created plants and trees. On the fourth day, he filled the sky with the sun, the moon, and the stars. On the fifth day, he filled the air with the birds and the sea with the fish. On the sixth day, he created humans and animals on land. And on the seventh day, he rested. Amen. Yeah, good job, kiddo. Gander, in, in the Old Testament, uh, in Exodus, the people of God were in uh, captivity in Egypt. And God performed 10 different plagues that he used because Pharaoh wouldn't let him go. There were 10 different plagues that he used to help break Pharaoh's back and set the people free. Can you name those plagues in order? Uh, the water turned to blood. Um, there were a lot of frogs. There were a lot of locusts. There were a lot of flies. Then all their livestock died. Uh, their skin had boils. There were a lot of locusts. Um, there, it was dark during the day, and then the firstborn Egyptians died. Yeah, good job, buddy. <laughs> Emily, after the, after the people of God got out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness, God performed a lot of different miracles to kind of help them along the way. Can you name at least five of those miracles? 
Okay, so first, as they were escaping Egypt, they got caught between the Red Sea and the Egyptians, and God parted the Red Sea so they could walk through, then closed it in on the um, armies. After that, um, they were hungry and thirsty, so in the mornings, dew would come down from the sky, and um, as it dried, it would turn into flaky bread, and also large herds, well, flocks of quail would come in the evenings, and for water, um, they were really thirsty, so um, they found the pool, the waters of Mara, and they were really bitter, and God told them to throw a log in there, and they were turned sweet, and then the water from the rock, and also their clothes never wore out throughout the 40 years. No, good job, kid. Dander. We're going to jump to the New Testament now. Dander, in, in the New Testament, Jesus had 12 disciples who followed him. Can you name all, tw- all 12 of those? Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus and was replaced by Matthias. Good job, man. Gracie, in Galatians chapter five, Paul talks about what our lives look like when we're filled with the spirit of God. He called it the fruit of the spirit. Can you name all nine of those fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Good job. (laughs) Emily, the the Old Testament and New Testament are kind of a continual storyline, and there are a lot of connections between the two. Can you share at least five of of those connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Um, So there were prophecies, and oftentimes there were several hundred years old when they were fulfilled. There was quotes they would use when they were preaching, Old Testament character references like their ancestors, maybe the prophets. Um, There were symbols like the way the priests dressed, the way the tabernacle was built in the temple, and there was comparison and contrast where they would compare like the Old Testament to the New Testament. before Jesus and after Jesus and also expand upon ideas and their preaching. Good job. Give them a big round of applause. Thank you, guys. (coughs) This is what I can't talk. No, don't. That's not an answer to your prayer either. This is why we make such a big deal about our children's ministry and pouring into those kids because I guarantee you, come on, it's just us. How many of you can just equivocally say, there is absolutely no way you could have done what they just did? Yeah, yeah. And, and this, is, this, this is one of those reasons why we say, you know what, we, we, love, we love the people who work with our kids. You know, we think about God's word. This is on your outline. When we, we think about putting God's word into action, God's word should be, first of all, our window through which we see the world. Now, this is real important because you're often told that this is what truth is or this is what's okay or not okay. And, and how do you make that kind of decision? Well, either you let other people frame that thinking or you take the word of God and you use it as a lens to say, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, and this is what truth is. Secondly, the word of God should be our wisdom through which we make our decisions. 
How do you decide how to live your life? How do you decide how, how to choose a, a partner in life? How do, you, how do you decide how to spend your money? God's word gives us guidance on all those kinds of things, how we treat one another. Those decisions should be made according to the word of God. And, and thirdly, the word of God should be our weapon when we fight off the enemy. And, and again, this is one of the reasons why it's so important to have this in your arsenal. You go to Luke 4, you read about Jesus when he was being tempted in the wilderness. Every time the enemy presented a temptation to Jesus, he responded with scripture. He said, it is written. It is written. And when the enemy tried to twist scripture on him, Jesus said, I ain't buying that. It is written. Over and over and over again. And here's the deal. That's again why God has given us the word of God. Look at me. But you can't spit it out if you don't put it in. Amen. And lastly, with that, I would just say, don't forget, I put this on your outline. Remember, strength and stability come from the practice of the things of God and not simply the knowing. The word of God is not gonna do any good to you if all you do is put it in your head, but you don't put it into practice in your life. This is what Jesus said. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, read it with me, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And all God's people said, amen. Let me give you one more. One more thing that the psalmist said that, that we need to keep in mind, and that is keep focused on eternity. Keep focused on eternity. When the psalmist wrote this, and he, he talked about, you know, get around the right people, stay away from the wrong kind of people, don't let them influence your thinking, get the word of God into you, and let it be an anchor. But the, the psalmist was wise enough to know, you know what? Sometimes in this world, um, it looks like bad guys are winning. Sometimes in the world, it looks like the bad guys are getting ahead. And every once in a while, it's easy to fall in this, this mindset of thinking, well, you know, God, how come, how come they're not serving you? And they're, they're, it just looks like, you know, they're making money and they're doing all this stuff. And, and it's easy to say, well, why is that happening? Look at me. Here's the deal, gang. Payday isn't always on Friday. In fact, God promises he would be with you in this world, but he says the real reward is in this life to come. You see, you can have everything in this world, but if you get to the end of your life and you don't have Jesus, you got nothing. You got nothing. But you can have nothing in this world, but if you at the end of your life, you've got Jesus, you have everything. And it's real easy to lose that mindset and, and want to stay in the here and now. And I, I want, I want right, what's right in front of me. And, oh, this looks good. And I, I want to grab hold of it. But we've got to keep our focus, as the psalmist says, on those things that are yet to come. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, for our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. And yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. Read it out loud with me, church. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. <laughs> I had a great illustration of, 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 of this. I was a few, about a month ago, so Wanda and I were with our oldest son and our grandkids uh, in Orlando at Disney World. And uh, our, our granddaughter, who is 14, is autistic. 
And uh, there's also developing some muscular uh, issues where she couldn't walk very long. And so we were having to get a, a wheelchair for her every day as we were taking them around the park. And I'm not much to get on things that make you throw up. You know, I'm one of those guys that just, that just doesn't rock my world. And so, and Joe Lee doesn't really like those things either. So at the park, a lot of times the family wanted to get on these exotic roller coasters that twist and turn and snap your neck in half. And they call that fun. And, uh, and I offered to stay off of that with Joe Lee. And uh, we were standing one time and they were, they were getting on this ride and Joe Lee didn't want to go and I didn't want to go. So we, I was trying to find a shady spot. And in Orlando that week, it was like it was last week here. I mean, it was 97 degrees. The heat index was like 115. It was burning hot. And trying to find some place to get away. Well, I, I, I pulled her wheelchair back and I realized after I, I said it, we were, we were parked right next to an ice cream shop. And Joe Lee saw these people walking away from the window with these huge chocolate ice cream cones. And she looks at me and she goes, ice cream? Ice cream? Well, how many of you are like me? Come on, it's just, how many of you are like me? When your granddaughter or grandson, you got to give it to them. You know what I'm saying? I know, I know. Yeah, the ice cream cone is $50 at Orlando. I know, I know that. It's, it's ridiculous. I know. But anyway, so, so I decided I'm going to get him. The, now think with me for a second. I'm getting her a huge chocolate ice cream. And what's the temperature? 97 degrees. Now, what's going to happen to that ice cream cone? It, my ice cream cone turned into Niagara Falls on a stick, baby. I mean, she, she got that ice cream cone and she started licking and all of a sudden, man, it's all over. And this thing is just pouring down. And of course, I had to get one too because it could be poison and I had to make sure she was getting something okay. So I've got one too and, it, and, it was good. and I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, now I wish, I really wish I'd have taken a picture of her because you'd appreciate it. But I found one that looked a lot like her. Throw that picture up on the screen. That's what she looked like. That's what my granddaughter looked like right there. Now, here's the deal. Look at me. Don't miss this. Everything that this world offers you is just like that. It, it may taste good for a moment. It may look good. But here's what I promise you. It's not going to last. And it will make a mess of your life. Amen. There's only one thing in this world that lasts, ladies and gentlemen. There's only one thing that takes us into eternity, and that's the power and the presence and the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. He lasts forever. Amen? What does it take to have an immovable faith? Well, the psalmist says, you know what? You've got to surround yourself with the right people. You've got to anchor yourself in the Word of God. And you know what? <laughs> You've got to keep your eyes set on eternity because that's where we're going. Amen. One more time. Say it with me. Lord, give me an immovable faith. Now I want you to stand to your feet. And I want, we're going to say it again. I want you to say it like you mean it. Lord, give me an immovable faith. 